Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Dear brother, text this to me a few days ago. And I said, uh, don't be surprised if you don't hear this as a text in the message on Sunday because it was so appropriate, I believe, for what I want to share with you today. The Amplified Bible says, may the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound. Some people just endeavor to survive. But the scripture tells us that God's heart and his will and his purpose through the Holy Spirit is to cause us to abound and be overflowing, bubbling over, the Amplified Bible says, with hope. Passion Translation puts it this way. Now, may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy, perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. I thought that was just awesome. I was listening to a teaching from Andrew Womack recently, and he said something that really struck my heart. He said years ago, he was ministering in a church, an old church, an old denominational church over in Wales. And he said the church was not only old, but all the people basically were old and simply had no interest really in what he was saying. And he said there happened to be a younger woman, not a young woman, but a younger woman sitting on the first pew. And he said he felt the Holy Spirit speaking to him that he had a word for her. And so he began to deliver that word. And the people in the congregation, it was a small church, but the people in the congregation knew the troubles and the difficulties that this young woman was going through in her family. One disaster after another, and Andrew Womack, through the anointing of the Spirit of God, began to, as they say, read her mail. Well, what it did, it awakened the people that were there when they saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And it literally led to a revival in that church where people got saved, people got healed, there was deliverance, the Holy Spirit working a powerful work, and it all started when a gift of the Holy Spirit was manifest. And I believe that it's so crucial and so important for us, and that's why we talk about it. It's not that we have seen the completeness of it, but if we fail to talk about it as many churches do, because simply they don't see the manifestation, so they just kind of drift away from that. Don't address it, don't talk about it, and maybe people will just forget about it and just come into a place where we derive these doctrines that simply excuse a life of powerlessness. And it happens all the time. Some of you may be listening to teachers and preachers that have that doctrine. And you have to be very cautious and very careful in what you're listening to because it can create a place of being double-minded within your life. And what did James tell us? That the double-minded person will receive nothing from God. Nothing. 
Because on one hand, they're endeavoring to walk in faith. On the other hand, they're, in, they're, they're walking in doubt. I believe that sooner or later, perhaps sooner more than later, I'm going to be sharing a message on the sovereignty of God and the confusion that people have about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign, absolutely. But everything that happens in life is not the sovereign will of God for you. There is an enemy whose purpose is to rob you of life, whose purpose is to discourage you in life. And that's why God has given you the Holy Spirit in order that you can stand after you submit yourself to God, you resist the devil, and the Bible says he will flee from you. But when we make up excuses and doctrines that literally allow the enemy to ravage our lives, it becomes so, so very, very destructive. An illustration that I had given you some few weeks ago or before I took my little break uh, through uh, July was dealing with, and, and if you remember this and on, I'm sure you will, but I really felt that the Lord showed me through this um, uh, weed killer that, that uh, I was going throughout the, uh, um, my mulch areas in, around my house where the weeds were going. I was spraying the weeds and, and I looked at this and, and something just began to rise up within my heart concerning this weed killer, believe it or not. Because I thought I held within my hand a wand. Within that wand, there were batteries. And so I had power, but I had to release. There was a little tag on those batteries. And even though that wand possessed the power, that power was not released into that wand in order to spray the chemical. But the other point was that I had to pull or activate the trigger. Because even though I had the wand, I had the power that had been released, I still had nothing flowing from the wand. <laughs> excuse me, until I pulled the trigger. And then once I pulled the trigger, everything began to flow the way it should be flowing. And you see, that's the way it is within our lives. As a believer, you possess the Holy Spirit, but you need to activate the Holy Spirit's power and presence within your life. And then by faith, you pull the trigger when you pray for others when you speak life over others, when you minister healing out over others. So you can possess that power, activate that power, but you never use that power. And so it's up to us. We need to determine that when we have opportunity and the Spirit of God is leading us, we come into that place where we literally, we pull the trigger on the Holy Spirit and release his anointing into other people's lives. How many times have we heard, time and time again, never give up praying for people. If you don't see success immediately, keep praying, keep believing, keep pressing in. Because the enemy is resisting you. And if you can come to the place where you're discouraged, you're not seeing any immediate results. But I've come to understand and realize in my own life that this Christian walk oftentimes can be a battle. We have the forces of darkness coming against us. 
but we must continue to prevail, prevail, prevail. And I've seen it in my own life where I didn't see immediate results. I didn't see results in a week or in a month or even in three or six months. But if I refused to quit, refused to give up, I eventually saw the power of God manifest. The enemy wanted to hang on to that issue as long as he possibly could. But then he begins to play with your mind, tell you things that are unscriptural, get you to the place where you begin to confess things that are unscriptural. And you must guard your heart against those things, church. Stand steadfast, immovable, abounding, regardless of what you see, regardless of what you hear. Stay connected to the truth of God's word. It's absolutely necessary. Now, I shared these scriptures with you, but I want to share them with you again today. One is found in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, because it's reiterating the purpose and the necessity of having the power of God within our lives. The disciples over in Acts chapter 4 were being persecuted. And instead of cowering under that persecution, instead of being intimidated by that persecution, they prayed a special prayer. They prayed this prayer. Oh, and now, oh Lord, hear the threats that they're bringing against us and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And that prayer is not only appropriate for them, but I tell you, it's appropriate for you and for me also. That the power of God would be demonstrated through us. And again, church, it would be easy because easy to drift away from these things, easy to try to put some quaint, cute little sermon together that's going to make you feel good, perhaps never challenge you. But when you get out into the world, the enemy is going to beat you senseless unless you understand who you are in Christ and the power and the authority that you possess in him. Amen, that was a good place for an amen. Acts chapter 14, verses uh, one through three. The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Did you hear that? They preached with such power, with such authority, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poison the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly. Oh, church, as it's rising up within me, that boldness, that boldness, that boldness to proclaim God's goodness. The apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. Proving that their word was true by doing, giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. Romans chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Yet I dare not boast about anything, Paul says, except what Christ 
has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced. This is so big. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit in this way, I have fully presented the good news. And that just simply tells me that if preachers, ministries, whoever it might be, is endeavoring to present the good news, the gospel, but there's no power behind it, they are not fully presenting the gospel message unless that gospel message is linked to power and the demonstration of power. I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elyricum. A powerful, powerful message. Now today I want to read another very familiar portion of scripture over in Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. King James Version, and I chose that for a reason. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, when wilt thou at this time, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Remember that word power. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, as I meditated and I thought about this more and more and more, I came to the conclusion that possibly the evidence of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily directly tongues, but the evidence of the Holy Spirit is power. The evidence of the Holy Spirit being released within the believer's life is power. And tongues is simply a, what do we want to say? A fortifying of the fact that that power is activated within our lives. Power is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. I understand that there are many Christians that have the Holy Spirit's presence within their life. They speak in tongues, talk about the word of God, but there's no power in their lives. No power. The enemy is trampling down. The enemy has defeated them in so many ways. They have no victory. They have no joy. They have no peace within their lives, but they can speak in tongues. But there's no demonstration of power. And I tell you, church, this is where we need to be. We need to be operating in the realms of power in order to do the work that Christ has called us to do. Power is the evidence of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation or the expression of tongues is the sign or evidence that you've received that power. Now, these two words that I read out of Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 in the King James, we both, we see the words power, where the power of God in his own power, and then you shall receive power. That's two different Greek words, actually. And they have two different meanings to them. 
And if you have another translation besides King James Version, you will see that one will speak of authority and the other speaks of absolute releasing of power. One speaks in the Greek exousia and the other speaks of dunamis. Dunamis exousia. Now, it didn't take long for these disciples to begin to demonstrate this exousia and this dunamis over in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I'll give that to you. So exactly what did Peter have? Peter had power and he had authority to use that power. There are times where Christians while will endeavor to exercise the power of God, but they do not understand that the authority that they move in and they find themselves getting into trouble. So Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's the exousia, there's the authority. I come in the name of Jesus Christ. I come in the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he releases dunamis, rise up and walk. It's very important that we understand that these two must work together. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Exousia, dunamis operating together. Remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 12 when he says, listen, when you're going to enter into the strong man's home, you must first bind the strong man in order to take back that which he has stolen from you. How do you bind the strong man? You don't do that through your own power, your own might. No, you exercise the authority that Christ has given you. I think of it in different ways, like those that perhaps carry a, a, a weapon, a, a gun, and you need to have authority to carry a concealed weapon. And if you don't have that authority to carry a concealed weapon, you can find yourself getting into big, big trouble because you have not been given the authority to carry power in that manner. Another illustration, perhaps you've heard it, is the authority that a policeman has and an 18-wheeler, tons of metal, steel, rolling down over a heel and the authority that moves to a policeman, he simply holds up his hand and he brings tons of metal and power to a halt, to a stop. 
And of course, his power didn't do that, but his authority did. And so it's crucial that we understand our authority in Jesus Christ. Over in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. Because Satan can say, what authority do you have to come against that which I have taken, that which I have robbed? What authority do you have to do that? Because there were certain Jews that were traveling and they had a ministry of exorcism. It's found in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. Now, I must admit, I'm a bit confused about this. I wasn't quite sure how these Jews, who did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they were casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches to come out. Now there were seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, who were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now it appears to me that these Jews who were children of God, they seemed to be operating in power, but now they were endeavoring to use the authority of Jesus Christ, which they had no right to use because they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. And so therefore they found themselves being badly beaten, running from the house where they were endeavoring to minister naked. And that's an example of the person that endeavors to move in spiritual, the spiritual arena when they don't have the authority to do so. Now perhaps these sons of Sceva were some of the very Jews that Jesus spoke of over in Matthew chapter 12. Now when the Pharisees heard, heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, watch this, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. So it was obvious that these Jews, these exorcists, were casting out demons. Or at least it appeared that they were casting out demons. Whether they were effective or not, we don't know. But Jesus said, by whose authority do your people cast out demons? We see no illustration of this in the Old Testament. 
other than the fact that perhaps with Saul and David, Saul was so backslidden against the things of God, against the original calling that was upon his life. He allowed the workings of darkness to overtake him. Jealousy ruled his life. Fighting against the very plan of God. Even though Saul was God's first choice to be king of Israel. God was the one who spoke and said, anoint Saul as king of Israel. Saul had an anointing on his life to be king. But because he turned his heart away from the things of God and he began to walk in his own understanding, his own ways, developing his own kingdom, his kingdom was stripped from him. And God chose another, of course, and that was David. But we see that when Saul was in such a backslidden state, that the scripture talks about a spirit that would come upon him. And they looked for someone who could minister to Saul and they found this shepherd boy by the name of David who would come in and play his harp. And when he would play his harp, Saul would be comforted and this spirit would depart from him. First Samuel chapter 16. Starting at verse 21, David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his arbor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the spirit, some translations say evil spirit, but that's not in the original Hebrew. That's what the translator felt that this was saying. So he added the word evil spirit. Whenever the spirit from God, why would God be sending an evil spirit upon anyone? Whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, David would take a harp and play it with his hand and Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Let me suggest to you that this was possibly an angel or the spirit of God that was now coming into Saul's presence. Remember, Saul was anointed by God to be the king, and it's the heart of God to always bring restoration. But Saul was in such a backslidden state, but now the spirit, the spirit from God, comes in the presence of Saul and Saul is tormented because he is in such an evil way. That happens today. There are times when you, as a staunch believer, a committed believer in Jesus Christ, your presence, because you possess the Holy Spirit, your presence is offensive to those who are walking in darkness. Years ago, I saw a fellow that I had graduated from high school with in a restaurant, and I went up to him and they say, hey, you remember me? My name's Tom, and oh yeah, I remember you. We got to talking a little bit. And he said, what are you doing as, uh, for a living now? I said, well, I'm a preacher. All of a sudden, this look of anger came on him 
he swore at me, took the Lord's name in vain, and walked out of the restaurant. And I believe it was because he had given himself over to darkness in such a great way that just my presence, because of the Holy Spirit within me, was offensive to him. And you're going to find that with individuals. You may find it within your own family members. You say, why are they constantly contending with me? Because it's who you carry. It's who possesses you. And that's offensive to them. It brings conviction upon them. And instead of addressing the fact that maybe they're being convicted to turn and yield their lives over to Jesus Christ, they literally rise up against you. Light is offensive to darkness. Saul, when this angel from the Lord or the spirit of the Lord would come into his presence, it would torment him. It would torment him. You say, is there biblical precedence for that? Absolutely. Consider Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. You're familiar with the story. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, do not torture me. There's times this is going to happen. Excuse me. I thought I'd check out to see what Andrew Walmack's living commentary says. And it just so happens that Andrew agrees with me. He says this, just as God's anointing and favor on a person's life is evident to others, so is his rejection. This wasn't an evil spirit in the sense that it was demonic. This was a godly spirit from the Lord. The word evil doesn't only mean morally bad or wrong, wicked. It also means causing ruin, injure, pain, harmful. Got a tickle in my throat. Excuse me. Here's to you. The godly angel was judgment and punishment on Saul for his wickedness. So in that sense, this was an evil angel. In that sense, it was evil to Saul. But the angel himself was not evil. It brought God's harmful and injurious judgment and punishment upon Saul. So we go back now to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Power being the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues being the evidence that that power has been activated in our lives. Now, 
everything for a Christian, everything should flow out of the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Everything that we do, because the word says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. The word of God tells us that we're to watch our words, the things that we speak, the things that we say. We're to guard our thoughts. We're to guard what we take in to our eye gate because it goes down into the soul. We need to be very cautious. We need to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to govern every aspect of our lives because the enemy will take advantage of any weakness that he possibly can. I know that for a fact. Paul tells us that we're not to give any place to the devil, none. Everything must flow out of dunamis and exousia gives you Christ's authority to use that power. In the film series, The Lord of the Rings, there was a powerful episode that I thought of, a powerful portion of that that I wanna share with you today and it is powerful. I'm warning you already, and most of you probably have seen it, but nonetheless, it shows the typical nominal Christian who just wants to simply live life according to what they desire, what they want, and then there's the power spirit-filled Christian who takes authority and dominion over the forces of darkness, who spreads the light of the gospel wherever they go who demonstrates the Lord Jesus Christ through daily living. And I'd love to be able to stand before you and say, I'm there, but I'm not. But I want to be, I want to be. And I believe that's your heart's desire also. You want to be that spirit-empowered, born-again, child of the living God who is operating through the power of the Holy Spirit that's in your life, releasing the trigger. I'm gonna ask you to show that clip if you would. Powerful. Should have showed a little bit more of that clip because the king's countenance totally changes. And I looked at this as I thought about this. Would you want to be Gandalf the Grey, which many Christians are, walking in their own ability, just trying to get through life. And then there's Gandalf the White, who has the power of the Spirit of God operating through them as children of the living God. And I thought this was an excellent example when the king said, you have no power here, nominal Christian, ordinary Christian, Christian who lives for themselves, doing their own thing, going their own way. You have no power here. And then as a child of God, we open up the realms, the realms, because there is a world being tormented by the ways of darkness. And unfortunately, so many of us have been silenced so many of us have been intimidated. So many of us have received the lies of the enemy that tell us we're nothing. 
when we possess the power of the living God within us. And I understand it's difficult to wrap your mind around that. As I endeavor to wrap my mind around the fact that God lives within me by his Holy Spirit. There should be nothing that is able to overcome me because of his spirit living within me. No force of hell, no force of darkness should be able to overcome me for the greater one lives within me and the greater one lives within you as a born again, spirit-filled, empowered child of the living God. I want to close with this portion taken from a devotional from Christina Prouty. She writes this. After greeting them, quoting the scripture in Acts 21, after greeting them, he reported in detail what God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God. Acts chapter 21, verses 19 and 20. She writes, when I read this scripture, I immediately thought about what has been going on in our church over the last couple of months. Have you encountered Jesus? Have you heard what has been happening? Have you seen him move? The testimonies, they've been shared during services. They've been shared in the lobby. They've been shared countless times in the public parks and stores and restaurants. I know because I haven't been quiet and neither have many of you. We are on fire with the passion and zeal for Jesus. Holy Spirit is like a wrecking ball of love everywhere we look. He's taking everyone out. And if you've been touched by him, you know you only want more. Are you happy to be Gandalf the Grey? Or do you want to be empowered by the Spirit of God? that any force of darkness, any force that's demonic will cower in your presence because of the spirit of God that's within you. He's taking everyone out and if you've been touched by him, you know you only want more. I feel as though I'm constantly texting friends to tell them what God just did. I try to tell different people different things so that I don't exhaust a single person, I completely relate to the scriptures that refer to the inability to praise God for every single marvelous work he has done. The inability. How could we ever, ever, ever thank God for everything he has done? If there's not another thing that God would do for you in this life, Focus on eternity. Thank him for giving you eternal life. For I tell you, there are many that are lost, dying, going to hell. And they have no concept of life after death. They have no concept of the realms of hell, the destructiveness that awaits them. No concept. How will they ever know unless we tell them? How will they be able to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ unless we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit to see the powers of hell broken over their lives? 
I believe the Spirit of God is breathing on His church, calling us to awaken from our slumber, calling us to be more vocal about our Christianity, and not only more vocal, but to demonstrate our Christianity in power and authority, in exousia and dunamis. I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what gives me the right, the authority to overcome the forces of darkness that may be set before me. So in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Release that anointing. And the enemy's going to endeavor to tell you, what if nothing happens? That's not your call. That's God's call. You just do what you're called to do. I need to do what I'm called to do. And just continue to press in because I tell you the chains of darkness on many people's lives are heavy and strong. And an illustration I believe that the Spirit of God showed me years ago that we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I saw a huge chain tied to my leg. And I struck the chain. Sparks flew. Pieces of the chain flew, but it did not break. But I continued to beat at that chain, beat at that chain with the word of the living God. And I encourage you today, church, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hold fast the shield of faith that will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And as you continue to come against the forces of darkness with the authority that Jesus Christ has given you to release that anointing, release that power, release that dunamis in someone's life and see the captive set free. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged by our service. We invite you to join us again next week. Our services go live every Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and at wordoflife.church. And we also meet in person every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. If God is using our church to change your life and you'd like to help us lead people to life in Jesus through your generous giving, you can do so by visiting wordoflife.church give, or you can text your donation amount to 84321. Follow along with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you'd like to know more about what God is doing in and through Word of Life Church. God is doing incredible things here, and we are so honored that you chose to spend your time with us.